This is Software Defined Survival, where we explore how software-defined systems are changing the business of AVIT. Today on Software Defined Survival. If you are really, really concerned about security and you know, having someone hack your account, perhaps a cloud solution is not you know, the best option. The second part of security is what can happen if someone hacks into my account and gets access to my content. First of all, you know, the Raspberry Pi is perfectly capable of showing 1080p video and also at 60 uh, FPS. So it is it's very good at showing video. Unfortunately, it's not so good at showing video through a web browser. Hey, Patrick here. Just a quick one before we get started. Today's interview is all about digital signage. And I used to think that digital signage was kind of a different industry, that it was something different than the AV systems that I work with, that it was really just for airports and advertising. But the more I think about it, it really is AV distribution over the internet. It's just another way to deliver content. And when looking at it in this light, you can come up with all sorts of ideas of how to use digital signage to enhance your typical AV system. You could use all of those screens that are, let's face it, quite often blank and empty, and you could really leverage the investment in that infrastructure to communicate for an organization to communicate with whoever is in that room when that display isn't in use. So you could communicate a message of the day, uh, key performance indicators, or even just the logo, the branding of that company or organization is a much better use of that display than just a blank screen. I'm so excited about this idea that we started integrating digital signage into Catch Connect. You may already know that Catch Connect lets you integrate Alexa and IFTTT with pretty much anything. And the addition of video with digital signage and even some screen sharing we're working on is going to make it much more powerful. So if anything of this sounds interesting to you at all, please go to catchtechnologies.com and sign up or send us a message and we'll let you know when these features are ready. And your feedback will be the motivation that we need to get these features out the door and live as soon as possible. All right, back to the interview. Greetings, my name is Patrick Murray and today's guest on Software Defined Survival has a background in software engineering, product marketing, and startup investing. He is currently CEO and founder of Yodec, which is a digital signage management platform. Now, since I started this podcast, digital signage has come up quite a bit as an AV type of a technology that has really adopted software-defined systems. So I'm really interested to discuss this topic with Vangelis Michalopoulos. Did I say that right? Yeah, you're good right there, Patrick. Close enough, I hope. <laughs> Thanks, Vangelis. Um, is there anything about that introduction that you'd like to correct or expand upon? Um, generally, no. Um, we do, we're a lot of tech guys here uh, in Yorick. I Myself, I wrote code when we started Yorick back then. Um, so more or less, you know, I, I really hope we have to make a, sort of a technical introduction and. Uh, talk about the technical aspects of uh, Yonic. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like to start with the origin story. So tell us, how did you get started with audio, video and, and software? So basically, uh, my background, as you said, is purely software. So at some point around 2014, uh, we saw the Raspberry Pi and we loved it. Back then, it was a single core, uh, single core board with uh, 512 megabytes RAM. So it was a weak board, but still we saw an opportunity there to build a very low cost uh, and affordable solution for digital signage. Um, and we started building a solution by early 2016 that we launched the service. Uh, the Raspberry Pi 2 was already on the market. Uh, so overall, it made a very good, a very affordable solution for uh, deploying digital signage in places where previously you just wouldn't, mostly the fact of the cost. And we engineered the solution to be very simple to use so that even you know the simplest installation and non-tech savvy let's say customers could deploy it themselves interesting i i think that's uh, really important that onboarding process even if it is a, a technical person who's installing it just everything you could do to make their life easier and get somebody up and running with your product is a uh, is a good thing to do so you mentioned you got the idea kind of 2014 and launched in 2016. Can, can you tell me about that development process and, and what kind of challenges and, and concerns you had at that time? Um, so we were trying to take advantage of the hardware. As I said, our main development process was based on the first Raspberry Pi generation. So it was very difficult to make sure that we're taking advantage of the hardware because it had a lot of restrictions. You just can't throw you know, too much content uh, combined you know, in layouts and so on in the first generation of the Raspberry Pi. So it was very difficult you know, to tune the software in order to, to work correctly on the Raspberry Pi. Um, we tried to take advantage of special, let's say, characteristics of the hardware, like the GPU, because it, the Raspberry Pi might be low when it comes to CPU, but it has a very powerful GPU capable of very good and very smooth graphics. So we did try to focus on that and take advantage of that. And secondly, uh, we really tried to make a reliable solution because we, you know, with digital science, it's very difficult to have uh, to have to visit on site when you have, you know, 100 screens all over the place. It's very difficult to go and provide on-site support. So we wanted to provide a very reliable solution. So we did a lot of fine tuning and a lot of testing concerning, you know, SD card corruptions and, you know, reliability issues like that. So that was the main two things, let's say, that I would say as a challenge. Okay. I could certainly sympathize with that. I've been through both of these issues myself and let's, let's dig <laughs> I guess deeper into have. them. Yeah. <laughs> let's dig deeper into them. How did you handle uh, making the SD card reliable? So we, we did base our software on the standard uh, Raspberry Pi foundation, uh, Raspbian, let's say, uh, distribution. Yeah. And what we did is that we started focusing on each component of that uh, operating system, let's say, of that distribution, and start getting rid of everything that you know wasn't necessary. Start, you know, fine tuning uh, the services, uh, 
closing down whatever wasn't needed to free up, you know, memories, uh, sorry, RAM, let's say, and also to minimize, let's say, the writes on the SD card. And also, we moved a lot of things in memory. So, for example, when you're opening a web browser in Yorick, all the cache and the cookies and everything like that is stored in RAM, so you don't write a lot to the SD card. And also, we, you know, to do that, you have to monitor the SD card writes and see which executable writes to the SD card, and then you know, trace that back to the package that contains that executable, mm-hmm. and then try to tweak it or change it in order to be to not to write the SD card to prevent corruption. So that was mainly you know the the tweaking on that part. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but I really like that idea of uh, just working in RAM because if you don't need to write, if if it's just temporary information that needs to be stored, you can run it in RAM. And um, I think that's an interesting approach. But like you said, then you need to figure out who is actually writing to the disk, which can be a exactly. Challenge. And also another thing that we built, which uh, is very useful, and actually that's a point that we have worked with NEC together with the NEC uh, software engineering team. Mm-hmm. is that we have devised a way to reset the software using USB. So what we do is that you can download the software image, put it on a flash drive, and plug it into the Raspberry Pi, reboot it, power cycle, and then it will detect the new firmware image on the flash drive and reimage the whole SD card from scratch. So this way... If you have any, you know, file system corruption, not hardware failure on the SD card, but file system corruption, it is very easily to recover uh, your player. Directly directly from a USB stick. Yeah, yeah. So you have a working, every time that a working player boots, the first thing that it does is that it searches its USB port for its flash drive, and if if it finds a confirmed software image there, it will start the process of writing it in the, on the whole SD card. And what we did with NEC is that we migrated this code in order for NEC screens to come preloaded with that code to make it much more easier for integrators to put their own software inside the, the screens. Very interesting. So that's a special image that, um, that comes with the NEC display or is available. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, they're doing some customizations. They, they used Raspberry, but they're doing some customizations on top of Raspberry. Right, to handle some of the specific things like the fan <laughs> turning on and off on the, exactly. on the Pi Compute module. So that sounds like a really useful application. Uh, I know myself trying to connect with Etcher or Windows Disk Imager. It's, it's not the easiest process. Yes, once it's you get the hang of it, <laughs> it's a nightmare the first time yeah. you do it. Absolutely. And then once you get and the hang what of it. We, just document it so you know how to do it again. And also, you know, uh, because we have a lot of direct customers buying you know, the solution on our site, what we decided to do is that we would be shipping, uh, actually drop shipping directly from our suppliers, ready to use units. So our customers don't have to go through this whole process of installing software on the Raspberry Pi. It comes pre-configured with our software and their settings. 
So that's that that makes it much more easier for the customers. Absolutely, I think it's uh, uh, almost a requirement to have that kind of an option. There'll always be DIY type of users who who want to set things up themselves and maybe install other applications on there. But I think for the most part, um, you're going to want to be able to deliver a ready-made piece of hardware that just works out of the box. Do you have any um, ideas or, or uh, insight into you know, what that ratio is of, of DIY to just give me something that works? Mm-hmm. So uh, what I can tell you from our customer base is that um, we have about 15% to 20% DIY um, that are paying a monthly subscription for direct customers, right? So about 50% of our direct customers uh, have built their own Raspberry Pi players. Uh, but 85% of our direct customers prefer to go with our annual plan that provides them with a free Raspberry Pi unit. So actually, they didn't build the player themselves. They got the free player included with their subscription. I like that approach. That probably cuts down quite a bit on, on your support calls and, and, and things like that. Exactly. And on the other thing, you know, the, the whole DIY thing with the Raspberry Pi is very good for our partner network. Besides, you know, our direct customers, we have a network of reselling partners across the globe. So it is very good that we're based on the Raspberry Pi for them because uh, they can procure it locally. So have partners, you know, in places like Chile or, uh, you know, Australia or the other side of the world. So it is very important that they don't have to stockpile hardware and they just can buy locally whenever they have an order. They can buy locally their Raspberry Pis and build the player themselves under, you know, their specifications for each specific project. Yeah. Um I think that uh, that makes doing business a bit easier. Of course, for let's say a traditional AV integrator, you're sacrificing some margin on a purpose-built piece of hardware. It's got a higher list price. You could earn some margin on that. And when you're mm-hmm. using commodity hardware, it's just a different kind of business. And you pointed out one of the pros of doing that. You don't have to go through customs and things like that. It's um, mm-hmm, exactly. they, they have their own worldwide distribution. You could just buy it on the internet. At what makes it special is, is the service that you're delivering, the applications on there and, and how it's being installed. Of course, yeah. And, you know, in any case, we have, you know, uh, three suppliers across the world. So if, you know, um, a Navy professional that perhaps, you know, they don't want to deal with uh, assembling hardware and so on, they can uh, buy directly from our suppliers ready to use units exactly like our direct customers so that's also being taken care of you know in, in all cases interesting and with that reseller plan the reseller also gets uh, gets to capture a piece of that recurring revenue correct of course yeah of course and they have the ownership of the customer and you know but it's also very interesting with uh, this with our partner program is that we also provide a white label option with really low requirements. So you can get a service based on Yodic technology under your own domain name and with your own branding. So you know, the end customer doesn't know that you're using Yodic under the hood. And that you know, increases the relationship uh, you have with your customer. 
Wow. And also, you know, provides you with much more flexibility concerning, you know, the pricing model and the pricing range. You can use your own pricing. Sure. Yeah, I like that. That sounds uh, uh, pretty interesting. And, and again, a way to differentiate and offer more services. Um, I have more questions on that, but I want to go back to the the technological stuff before we get too deep into the business side. Um, sometimes they're hard to separate. But you mentioned using a web browser. So let's get into, you know, what is digital signage at a very basic level? Is it just a way to display web pages or is there more to it than that? Uh, actually, you know, the, the vast majority of uses uh, involves um, multimedia. So mainly videos and images. Uh, of course, you know, web pages are also uh, in play, but mostly it has to do with uh, visual content that the customer already has. Uh, so digital signage, if I was to explain it in simple terms, would be uh, the ability to manage what screens uh, deployed you know, in several sites display from a central location. So you have the ability to group screens and send over content to be displayed in screens and do that through the internet without you know, going on site. So that's the most basic need, the most basic feature that all digital signage solutions have. Okay, so visual content. And like you said, video images or web pages. Um, getting back to the Raspberry Pi and video, you mentioned that the GPU in the Raspberry Pi is quite good and does a good job, can even display 720p video, I believe. Yeah, but when you're showing web pages, um, something like Chrome or Chromium, the open source version of the Chrome web browser, it does not take advantage of that hardware acceleration. Mm -hmm. And video Indeed. just doesn't look good. What? what so, is, how do you handle that? Yeah. So with uh, with with video, what we do is that first of all, you know, the Raspberry Pi is perfectly capable of showing 1080p video and also at 60 uh, FPS. So it is it's very good at showing video. Unfortunately, it's not so good at showing video through a web browser. So. Mm -hmm. um, and overall, because the browser is based on the CPU, which is a bit weak, the whole animation and the whole experience of viewing a heavy uh, website uh, might not be so satisfying. Um, but if you're using you know, multimedia content, like images, videos, uh, audio, you know, performance is perfectly great. Perfect. It's, just great but with um, chromium for example i know that the the raspberry pi foundation their engineers have done some sort of a, how do you say customization let's say for uh, working good on the raspberry pi but again i don't think that they will be drilling down to the detail you know to take full advantage of the gpu so web content on the Raspberry Pi will always be a bit, let's say, weak. Hmm. That's a shame because web browser technology is its just extremely powerful. It's come leaps and bounds yes. and there's yes. no sign of stopping. It's really the Swiss army knife of content delivery. It would be great if um, this commodity type of hardware would could, could display video through the web browser. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, but, you know, on the other side, of course, 
if you have video, uh, you can use it on the Raspberry Pi. So for example, uh, while Chromium doesn't do a very good job at showing YouTube videos, for example, at 1080p resolution, um, we support YouTube videos and live streaming of videos directly uh, using the GPU of the Raspberry Pi. So that has a great performance. So we're trying to avoid using a web browser for things that you can do in a different way. So for example, you know that scrolling uh, text, the tickers that you see sometimes you know, on public screens, yeah. showing you know, stock tickers and stuff like that. So for that specific feature, uh, if we tried using a browser, an HTML-based ticker, but it was really awful. And when we changed the, the implementation to use the GPU of the Raspberry Pi, you know, it was really, really excellent. So it's very smooth scrolling. So it all has to do with the implementation and less about, you know, the, um, the restriction imposed by the CPU of the Raspberry Pi. So if the Raspberry Pi Foundation decided to build a very, uh, a very tweaked, tailor-made web engine for the Raspberry Pi, it would work great. But unfortunately, you know, they, I don't think that they have the resources to do that. Yeah, interesting. So choose the right application for the job is uh, really the message here. Mm-hmm. So staying with content, um, where does content come from? What, what are you seeing in the market? Do people generally create their own content, make their own videos? Uh, is there a market for that kind of a service of content creation? Uh, mostly, I think that most of our customers and users are using their, uh, they already have the content that they want to display. Mm-hmm. And they're just searching for a way to display it. Uh, um, our platform doesn't provide ready to use content so we don't yet have a, a library let's say or a marketplace with content that you can use uh, so i i really can't say you know from our experience so far which is the mix uh, but i think that um, people buying digital signage online ha- usually have uh, an idea of what their content will be and most of them already have their own content. Um, so I've been thinking about digital signage a lot lately. And given my background in, in custom AV integrated systems, I'm starting to have this idea that you know digital signage, people think of airports and retail and maybe a fast food restaurant menu. But the more I think about it is it's just another video distribution system. It's a way to distribute video over the internet, basically, and manage uh, where it gets shown. What kind of applications other than the typical things like, like your, your airport timetable and, and um, retail store, what, what kind of other applications have you seen? Okay. So um, first of all, you know, we have a lot of uh, let's say, enterprises or, you know, offices and venues like that using Yodic to display informational content, uh, either to venue visitors or to employees. So we have a lot of uh, companies just using internal communications, let's say, digital silence. Um, 
and then you know besides the um, the typical retail that you mentioned um so the the besides the typical use cases of retail menu boards um and airports uh we see a rise in shown dashboards so we have a lot of IT departments and um and companies also showing uh, dashboards with uh, KPIs, status reports, mm. reports from uh, ERPs, um, stuff like that. And then there's, um, because we're, uh, Yodek is targeting the lower end of the market, and the lower end of the market is expanding downwards. So due to the fact Yodek is so affordable, um, suddenly businesses that previously didn't have access digital science technology, now they can use it. So we are seeing um, customers like beauty salons, spa, uh, small schools, um, deploying digital signage. Very interesting. And what kind of contents are, are they displaying? Usually, the, you know, beauty salons, um, they usually provide, you know, promotional and informational content. Mm-hmm. Uh, education in the education industry, you usually have content related to classes or targeting, you know, uh, parents, let's say, or addressing informational requirements for uh, students. Typically, showing informational content. Sure, interesting. So, have you seen any applications that involve interactivity? Maybe. Um, the Raspberry Pi has some GPIO ports. It's got a few USB ports, so you could certainly install some peripherals on there, like uh, motion detectors. You could do some some interesting things with Bluetooth or even a simple contact closure. Have you uh, seen any applications that take advantage of some peripheral to uh, get some feedback of what's actually happening in the environment? So we, I have seen um, several applications like the ones that you mentioned. Um, so for example, I know that NEC is building a very, very good solution um, for retail. So you pick up, so you have a shelf with you know, all the products on the shelf and you're picking up one of the items and suddenly the screen is changing the content to show you information about the specific item that you picked up, stuff like that. Um, I think that the, the number one, let's say, feature request concerning interactivity and information gathering, let's say, has to do with footfall. So a lot of customers just want to know how many people are seeing the content or how many people are uh, visiting the specific area of the venue or the whole venue. Uh, also, concerning interactivity with the environment, um, we have a lot of specific projects that have to do with uh, buses. Um, so in the, on the Raspberry Pi, you can connect a GPS receiver and have predetermined content to be shown on specific areas when the bus you know, uh, reaches a specific station. Um, also, uh, we do have... Uh, projects with simple, much more simple requirements, you know, just connecting uh, a PIR, uh, motion sensor, 
to detect uh, a person entering an area and then triggering to start the content at that specific moment. And mostly it's simple things like that. But overall, just you know, to, to give you some insight, at least from, my, from our experience so far, is that interactivity concerning you know, sensors and, and stuff like that hasn't really picked up yet. At least you know it's the segment that we are serving. Um, perhaps you know with bigger projects and bigger brands and bigger budgets, perhaps you know there is much more traction at that market segment. But at our market segment, the lower end of the market, you know up to 100 screens or something like that, usually we don't get so many requests. Mm, that's understandable. It would make the uh, onboarding process a lot more difficult than it would be a uh, custom installation where you would need some technical people to uh, to commission that system, which of would course, include yeah. costs like you mentioned. And then the other part of it is I think it's um, those are kind of innovative solutions. You're, you're not really, that's not something you would think of to see a display and say, oh, I'd like to show an image on there is kind of obvious, but have that display interact with the environment that's kind of an innovative solution and I think there would be need to be a lot of education before that really exactly. caught on. Exactly, exactly. So the you know the customer and the market has to be educated and catch up with the technological developments on that front. Hmm. So as you were talking, you uh, you mentioned buses, right? So having mm-hmm. digital signage on something moving and Another thought that I've had is that these displays, it it really, you're making a Raspberry Pi an IoT device. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a thing that is on the internet, no doubt about it. And when you say that it's in a moving vehicle, then it's really obvious. This is definitely an Internet of Things application. So with that IoT always comes the question of security, because if I could log into the account, well, then I could do stuff. So what are your thoughts on the security of these types of systems and what does Yodec do to mitigate that risk? So generally, you know, we get a lot of security related questions, especially, you know, from uh, larger uh, enterprises. So even, you know, irrelevant of the size of the project. So even if we're talking about, you know, three or four screens or, you know, 1000 screens, um, security has to do with the profile of the customer, their security requirements. So we do get a lot of questions about that. And indeed, you know, when you, when you add a device on your network, you always have to consider about the security implications of doing so. So um, it's understandable that we do get a lot of questions. Um, First of all, you know, when you are adding a device that you don't have full control over it, you are adding some risk. But what you have to do is that you have to weigh the risk against the benefit of doing so. So you have to come to do some sort of a compromise. Um, and that's, you know, for all solutions, not just for our solution. Of course. Now, what we're, what we're suggesting a lot of, in a lot of cases, to separate, you know, the the networks that, you know, our players use for internet access from your local uh, network. So that's one 
good, let's say, directive that we're giving out to most customers that are very concerned about security. Um, now, the second part of security is what can happen if someone hacks into my account and gets access to my content. So, not many customers are showing really confidential content on Yodek because it is a cloud-based solution. And usually, those that have really critical, critically confidential data they usually don't prefer crowd solutions. They prefer to have an on-prem solution where they can you know, uh, handle it better, let's say, have more control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third thing about security uh, is that what happens if my account gets compromised somehow and then, uh, the attacker is using my screens to display you know, unauthorized content? Um, so that's a third, let's say, concern. So what we're doing is that we're trying to mitigate the risks concerning you know, all three aspects of the security, at least you know, with the other what we're doing. And what we do is that first we try to, to ensure that network-wise the devices are secure. So we do have a firewall built into the device itself you do have a control over what the device is uh, providing, let's say, as a local network, let's say, port opened. Um, We also try to help by providing features like, for example, you can add a 4G dongle and provide internet to the device, you know, in a totally separate way. Over cellular, Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, you... We have a lot of customers that don't want to to, to mess around with their networks, so sure. they IT just add the dongles. Concerning, you know, the requirement about um, hacking, let's say, your account, um, that has to do mostly with um, quality assurance during our development process, and less about um, about, let's say, actions that the customer can do. Um, So what we're doing is that we have regularly security reviews within the team. So every six months, we don't do any development for two weeks, and we do security reviews of the whole system and the whole team. Hmm. Um, We also have external uh, auditors that are reviewing the code to make sure that everything is correct and there are no common uh, security flaws uh, that couldn't compromise security. Um, but overall, and that, that's something that we always say to our customers, if you are really, really concerned about security and you know, having someone hack your account, perhaps a cloud solution is not you know, the best option. Yeah. Cloud solutions are multi-tenant, they inherently, there is always the case, even, no, no matter what you can do, there is always a slight case that, might, that someone might hack into a, a public service, a public cloud service. So if you're using it for showing critically confidential data, perhaps you should use an on-prem solutions. Absolutely. Perfectly uh, great insights. I think you summed it up really well. 
it, it, it really is all about the customer. You need to weigh the risks with the, uh, with the benefits um, and really consider what kind of content you're loading up to the cloud and, and how, yeah, how sensitive it is and also how protected it, protective it is. Um, this idea of security is, is sometimes, it can be really complicated, but I like to break it down to just like, you know, think of a fence in front of a building, right? Or maybe there's just like a row of hedges, some plants in front of the building. Well, that's not really security, but it lets the person walking by know that it's private property and maybe they shouldn't jump over that little fence. Now, if I have a large fence with barbed wire on top of it, then I really know I shouldn't be going in there. And if I do, I'm definitely breaking the law and it's really difficult to get in. So make it as difficult as possible and just keep in mind that nothing is secure. Even on-premises can be hacked as well um, if someone is clever enough. So it's, it's in the end, it's just a, uh, you do your best effort. I like the way you take two weeks off twice a year and really review everything. Um, I think uh, we should be seeing a lot more of that from yeah any, any kind of electronics manufacturer. I think most people don't do something like that. So I applaud you for that. And uh, I think you summed it up really, really well. Do you have any uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, overall, just you know, I, I, concerning you know security, um, it is something that is brought up you know um, frequently, especially from larger customers. So it has made us consider even building a specialized solution for the security aware. So it's, I think there's an opportunity there, and going forward with all cloud software, you know, no matter, you know, the industry or no matter the functionality, uh, I think there is an opportunity going forward for increasing uh, security in cloud solutions. So I think there will be specialized products and specialized cloud services that have their focus on security instead of, you know, their features or their easiness of use. So I'm thinking that you know towards the next few years, we will be seeing a lot of uh, products focused on secure digital signage, for example. Yeah, absolutely. It's becoming more and more of an issue as awareness of how these technologies actually work um, grow, and also with the reports, you know, there are there are white hat hackers that show you, look, we're hacking a pacemaker, or we can hack a football stadium, and there's just more awareness of it, and uh, that of course will that that's that education part that we were talking about before. And I've got one idea. As you were speaking, you, you talked about this idea of unauthorized content. So if somebody hacks into my system and wants to show something naughty on one of my displays, how do I prevent that? And here, here's an idea that I don't know if it would actually work in real life, but maybe with artificial intelligence and blockchain, there could be some kind of a uh, solution where the client, the player, actually checks to see if the content is authorized to be shown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's an interesting point. You know, we're investigating options because, as I told you, you know, we're planning to release something like that towards in the future. Uh, and also, we were planning to combine it with some sort of a two-factor authentication on a device level. So you would have to have a token to authorize each and every device centrally, of course, but from another mean, from your app, for example, from your mobile, you would have to authorize all players to get a content update, for example. 
So there are many ways, you know, to achieve something like that, to increase, let's say, security, even when it comes to IoT. And I think that, you know, your audience, which I guess it's mostly, you know, AV professionals, I think that it's a good time, you know, to, to look into uh, adding and moving into the software area um, of things when it comes to AV. So uh, digital signage solutions, I think that it is something that every AV should have into their portfolio. And having, you know, a, a software-based solution, purely software, uh, I think it's uh, provides you with a maximum flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. Any tips on, on where to get started? Um, you know, of course, you know, we'll tell you about Yodek, <laughs> as you can understand. Sure. So with, <laughs> with Yodek, if you have a Raspberry Pi, or you can buy one from our website for, uh, you know, it's a very low cost, 80 USD. Um, you can start off with one screen for free. So you can play around with the service for as long as you have. We have something like 1,000 free users having just one screen. So you can uh, play around and see what it, how it works and what it has to offer. So that's, I think that would be a good start to see what the whole digital signage thing is and how it works. If anybody would like to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Um, they can send me over uh, an email uh, at... Uh, my, my email is not so easy to say. So just email info at yodek.com uh, and I will check it out. Just say that you're reaching out for me and I will get back to you guys. Excellent. Vangelis, thank you so much for being on the podcast. No problem, Patrick. It was a pleasure. If you or anyone on your staff ever considered themselves just an AV programmer, join the club. That's how I used to feel. I was just an AMX programmer or just a Crestron programmer. Whatever language of your choice is, whatever it may be, there's generally this feeling in AV that we're not capable of using modern programming languages. And it simply isn't true. Sure, there's a learning curve, but once you get through it, all other languages become easier to learn and it just expands the amount of options you have when designing a system. It's not an either or decision. You don't say, I won't be using these manufacturer tools anymore. It's just, you have a broader palette to choose from. And here's what Mark Day, founder of Ideabox, had to say about his experience with the online courses at learnavprogramming.com. You know, Patrick, it's funny how the smallest things can sometimes be the start of really big ideas. Uh, before I took the learnavprogramming.com courses, I was in that proprietary, I'm only a control system programmer kind of mindset, right? Uh, when it came to new technologies or current technologies like JavaScript or, or things like that, for some reason, I thought that was different from what I'm doing. And what taking your courses flipped for me was not so much what I learned technically taking the courses. It was the mindset of, oh, wait a second, I'm already doing 99% of what some of these most modern programmers are doing. I just have to learn, uh, you know, the other 1%. And that's really what I did. So it's really been kind of a big change after taking the course. Um, and I would really recommend this course to 
any integrator. Not only will it obviously help their skill set, but more importantly, it might change their whole mindset, uh, which is more important and, and, and really show them new opportunities, open the door so they kind of see problems through a different lens. Uh, I got to tell you, one of the, the biggest changes for me was as soon as I taught myself HTML, CSS, JavaScript and saw the UIs that I can make with those technologies, I, I just couldn't sell a uh, Crestron touch panel again. Mark is a great example of somebody who takes new information and really applies it. I know that Mark still sells a lot of Crestron equipment, but for him, for his company, for his customers, for his business, he needed a better UI. He needed another option for a user interface, and modern programming allowed him to do that. So the question is, how can you use modern programming to improve your business? Please go to learnavprogramming.com and wherever you see a sign up button, go ahead and sign up and you'll get some free information to get a feel of my learning style and what kind of information is available. And of course, it would be an honor to have you enroll in one of our courses and help you upgrade your skills and take this industry to the next level. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. I hope you found it useful and maybe it inspires you to try out something new this week. If you have any questions, Go to softwaredefinedsurvival.com and click the appropriate button. I'd love to answer your questions on the air. And if you'd like to help spread the word, please subscribe, comment, and share it with your friends. Thanks.